the finance role revolution will not be televised. Will not be televised. So, Carl, great to meet you here. Yeah. Welcome to the show. This is an incredible place to be. It's a relatively new business club in London called The Curtain, just around the corner from Super Cool Hoxton. So, thanks mm-hmm. for the invite. Great to be here and, and to sort of talk about what you're doing. I think you've had a really interesting career in terms of your starting out as a finance professional and then moving into to sort of more entrepreneurial areas and now working in analytics, which is really relevant for the finance team. So, you know, maybe you could just give us a sort of overview of, of what you've been doing for the last sort of 10, 15 years. Yeah, sure. So I kind of started my career looking at the equity analysis side. So I was going to school f- to get my CFA, did the first two levels, uh, failed level three, unfortunately, but uh, also decided I wanted to get on the other side of things. You learned from failure. Yes, exactly. I learned from failure <laughs> that I didn't want to try it again. So <laughs> so I, um, yeah, my first job out of grad school was an analyst job at a casino in Las Vegas. So very interesting, like learning about the drivers of the business on that side of things. I kind of moved my way up managing a team of analysts and then... Yeah, moved to London from Vegas several years ago. And uh, my first job here, I joined the founding team of a hospitality startup. So I was able to kind of use my experience in Vegas and apply that, even though it was in a much different capacity because I had the industry experience that helped me kind of move into that role pretty easily. Okay. Was that a, a startup or was that sort of you know, yeah. established team? Okay. No, it was a startup. So I joined them pre-revenue. Okay. And then we grew the business to about 100K uh, monthly recurring revenue. In about a year, and I left a little over a year later. So you were responsible for managing the uh, cash burn. So yeah, exactly. It, yeah, hairy times. I would have thought for a finance guy. <laughs> yes, it is very difficult to uh, manage finances when there's no finances. So we did uh, a lot of fundraising and yeah, looking at budgets and where we could save money, and there was a lot of capital management as well. Okay, great. And where does that sort of lead you to uh, today in London? Uh, yeah, so the past couple of years, I've been doing um, CFO work for a lot of different startups. Uh, most consistently, I've been CFO for a, a dating app called Field. Yes, yeah, so I've been with them for two years. And then I also have my consulting company where we offer finance services and tools to uh, growth stage businesses. Excellent. So from the listener's point of view, you've really sort of entered into this new world of startup and technology and innovation mindset, I think, which is critical to the future of finance professionals. And is, is there any sort of one moment where you felt, you know, this is it, this is the step that I needed to make to be sort of happy, successful, motivated in my career? You know, maybe when you moved into startup, you know, what was the decision around that? Or even a move to London? Yeah, well, I moved to London for a girl. <laughs> and then, uh, which is working out still. Excellent. It's good. It was yeah. a good story. Yeah. So I'm still staying here for her. That's good news. No, yeah. I guess I kind of fell into it. It was difficult for me to get in front of larger corporates. It's just a longer process and you need to typically know somebody. I think startups were generally more receptive to me reaching out to them and setting up meetings. So I kind of fell into it that way. And it probably took, I would say, maybe 18 months to two years before I felt really comfortable and still even learning today. So maybe even three years before feeling comfortable in that setting versus a corporate setting. So what would you say was the, the main difference? And obviously there's a, a lot less people. 
But in terms of your sort of day-to-day, you know, what does an ordinary day look like? And maybe compare that to what your ordinary day was before. And what sort of gets in the way of a good day for you today? Yeah, well, I I definitely think the breadth of what we have to cover. I mean, before when I was in Vegas, it's pretty narrow, the focus. So like my last job, it was, I only did labor expense analysis. And uh, now in my rules, they have to do not only those kind of expense analysis, you have to do fundraising, the accounting side, you do a lot of efficiency analysis. So like marketing spend and revenue optimization. So you're looking at pricing, um, commercials, so you're looking at, at contract negotiations. So you're typically the only finance person or one with finance background. So you have to cover everything that has any kind of yeah. finance in it. If it has a number in it, you, you're involved basically. Do you see that as a problem where you know, startups may start up without a finance person. You know, how do you close that gap? Are you just the finance guy or or do you think it's important that everybody in a startup needs to have that finance base? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, most of the companies I've worked with have been very young founders. They don't have a lot of experience in general. I think when you have older founders, they have at least come across some kind of financial reporting, understand that side of it a little bit more. What you find too is it's, it's people that know that space. So they're either product people or they're industry people and um, they understand their business really well. So uh, they can get to a certain point without a finance person, or at least they understand the business enough where they don't feel they need to be looking at numbers. Yeah. So I think there's always a, an inflection point, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the sort of phrases that comes up when I talk to people in startup is that when I start having to work in my business instead of on my business, yeah, that's a critical moment where I need to start building the team out. I think the other one is, is just a, a practical thing where if you're approaching kind of company house submissions and audits, you know, you need to get a qualified person in. Yeah. So uh, that's good. But do you think that potentially affects the success of a startup when you have maybe a CEO who is not really looking at the financials, is possibly looking at revenue and growth over cash. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, uh, there's two sides of it that affect the business. And one of them is the internal side. So it's not being as efficient as possible or not catching things soon enough. So not planning correctly. And then that's when you see a lot of companies get themselves into trouble or have cash constraints that they didn't expect. And then the other side of it is fundraising. So Really, if you're going to go past the seed stage fundraise, you have to understand your financials. You have to understand your metrics. So that's where it's if, if you don't know what you're doing or uh, you don't have the time to learn or put everything together, that's when you definitely need somebody with that background. And I, I'm assuming it's a very different world in Las Vegas, not just because of the casinos, but because of the, the size of the company that you worked in. You know, the, yeah. that role, you know, what was that like compared to what you're doing today, which sounds like you're, you're managing a business. Yeah. Whereas you said, you know, narrow was the word you used for the role. You know, did you have this kind of deep and narrow role there and, and who was doing everything else? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that is similar, I guess, are the drivers of the business. That was one of the things I learned early on. Casinos are very dynamic. You have hotels, you have food and beverage, you have the casino themselves and entertainment. So that was what I got to learn early on. So that part is very similar when you go over to small businesses or any type of businesses. What's different are the numbers that you look at a lot of times. So cash is way more important than the P&L at a small business, whereas a large business, the P&L may be more important. So that's a good example, I guess. And then the drivers can be from an efficiency standpoint as well. So there's a lot of sales and marketing analysis that I look at more so now than before. 
We've decamped from the uh, lounge into the bar just to see another side of the club. Again, lovely environment here for a, a conversation. So I'm always on the search for innovators within the world of accounting and finance operations, shared services. And I have stumbled across an amazing company that's doing some great work in the Nordics. In fact, they're one of the biggest providers of this solution in the Nordics, and they're looking to expand their reach into Europe. The company's called Quivalia. They are sponsoring this podcast, and they're co-authoring a few articles with me at the moment. I truly believe that they are walking the talk. You know, they've been 10 years experts in sort of transactional analysis on the AP side, stopping leakages in capital around sort of mismanaged VAT, overpayments, double payments and things like that. The sort of basic stuff that's been talked about for a long time. But they've now moved up the value chain. Their leadership team there is really trying to push the boundaries into next generation finance. A couple of examples of that are that they are providing an offering for free, which is brilliant. SMEs, small businesses, small medium-sized businesses can have a free e-invoicing software. But at the same time, they've developed a protocol, a format for the exchange of invoices to basically eliminate that transactional process for invoicing, which would take conversations around automation in this area up another level, you know, automation, accounts payable automation on steroids, you could call it. And they're just automating everything in that process, whether it's validation or bounce backs or, you know, supply monitoring, whatever it is, they are looking to speed up that process to the point where you could almost say you've eliminated that process. There's a few people talking about that in the blockchain space, but I uh, you know, I'm not sold on that. And I think Cavalia are thought leaders in this area and they're definitely walking the talk. So if you're interested in AP and trying to improve the value that you provide in that area, then check out Cavalia. Their website is qvalia.com. And like I say, they are one of the biggest players in the Nordics, uh, helping customers all over Europe and they're looking to expand their reach. So they're there for you. And back to the pod. So we, we were just touching on sort of different types of companies that you've worked in. So, you know, what about the people? What I see is that uh, digital natives and millennials are looking for different things out of work compared to maybe the baby boomers and, and the exes. What do you see in, in the people that you've worked with and maybe what the younger generation are looking for in uh, finance? Yeah, I think... Automation is important for every business, but probably more so for small businesses where the larger enterprise businesses probably want more like deep dive analytics. But I mean, we had a lot of different tools and new tools come in when I was working in Las Vegas for larger companies, but I think it's harder to create these larger enterprise products. That's why you have a lot more options for smaller, medium-sized businesses. I think it's just, it's a growing space as well. But yeah, I think that that's the biggest thing is they're trying to save time, save money. Again, going back to what we were saying earlier, like a lot of times they'll bring me in because they all of a sudden are, I guess you said it, focusing on uh, not growing the business, but running the business. Yeah, and in a way, I have conversations with people and it almost sounds that startups are ahead of bigger corps because of the approach that they take towards analytics and because of the people that they have in um, house. And I think 
it would be great if larger companies could leverage that approach, not just in recruitment and recruiting talent, but mm. actually the more fluid way of working and the more innovative way of working. And I get a sense that younger people are more inclined to work that way and therefore look for it in their employers. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and you have a lot of tools, a lot of SaaS tools now that um, the biggest thing that they offer are integrations. So all of these tools work with the other tools that companies have. And that's what that's a big selling point for them. I think with larger companies, if you have a legacy system, it's probably gonna be harder for you to switch that out. And you probably don't have as many dependencies on these smaller tools that integrate with each other. You have the ability to uh, have a developer integrate the systems, whereas smaller companies need these out of the box. They need them today, they need them to work across their other their tools. Do you think that there's something in that, that the smaller company's success is actually taking something out of the box and, and having the right people use them rather than over-customizing a system to then retrofit it into a legacy system? You know, mm. I think that there's a fact, you know, we, you and I almost come from sort of different ends of the scale in terms of size of company. And some of the large companies that I've worked for, you know, their legacy systems have been around for decades. Yeah. So is it a bit like the start? Startups are able to move faster simply because of that approach and, and not looking to, to change what they're buying. Yeah, there's definitely flexibility in that. I mean, whenever you're going with an enterprise system for a large company, you usually have to do months of figuring out whether or not this is the, the product you want to buy. Whereas a small business, it's either just the CEO or a single person just decides it. You have to decide if you're going to do a proof of concept and then you have months of that, you have the integration. So it takes much, much longer to do that. So that's why it's a little more agile. So you don't have all as many moving parts that you have to think about. Then again, it's about look at flexibility as more of a selling point as opposed to, um, I don't want to say deep dive analytics. Okay, so, you know, where does that leave the sort of CFO as a decision maker on this? Because in medium-sized companies, CFOs tend to be responsible for IT, IT spend. Even if they're not technologists, you know, they hold the budget. Yeah. In larger companies, it would be split out. So, you know, where do you think that, that leaves the role for the CFO? Are they part of that decision or is it left to, to somebody else? In my experience, I'll be part of that decision. I, th I think it depends on the, the background of the other people on the team. But generally speaking, if you get a CFO in when you're, say, 15 people up to maybe 50 people, that your finance person is going to be heavily involved in all of the large business decisions, all of the commercial decisions, pricing, expense decisions. I mean, they're doing the budgets and they have to understand how those things work together. So they really get their finger on the pulse of the business. So I would say that if you're expecting to go be the sole finance person at a smaller, medium-sized business, you should also expect to be a large part of those discussions. And it's great to hear because I think that that's something, that's a trend, I think, that, that's coming out, that IT is changing finance, technology is enabling finance in many different ways. And it, it's almost like the CFO no longer just has, I don't know, a budget holder responsibility. They actually have to be understanding what the investment is, yeah. really critically appraising what that you know, capability is going to do for us. And ultimately, there's this larger conversation around value creation. You know, why should we spend money on this? But if they can only do that, you know, it'd be good to understand you know, your point of view on, on the game, the sort of the maturity of their knowledge. They can only do that if they really understand, you know, how this digital transformation is occurring and how these tools can really bring out value for the company. And yeah. I, I personally still see a, a knowledge gap there. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, 
One of the reasons uh, people in startups hire people who have startup experience is you have to be able to adapt quickly and you have to be able to make decisions without getting sign-off or approval. You have to be able to work very independently. And I think being able to come in and have an understanding of the new tools, the things that are going to make things more efficient, and just having an understanding of how these businesses should be running their finance and analytics and things that they should be looking at, that's where the big value is in that experience. So where I think at larger companies, it, it may be a little bit different. You need to execute. You may need to look at things with a little bit more scrutiny, whereas opposed to the biggest value add from my perspective of a finance person in a startup is, is execution or being flexible and being able to make quick decisions. I suppose looking at the traditional accountant, you know, of old and the, the career path for finance out of, say, traditional exams and maybe audit background or whatever, do you feel that this new career is for everybody? Do you feel that, that this will typically suit a type of person? And, you know, if people are migrating towards this sort of new sort of innovative, collaborative way of working, you know, what sort of things should they be focusing on to really help business owners in the business that they work with? Yeah, I think the technology side, like you said, I don't think you have to have an accounting background to, I don't have an accounting background. I've taken accounting classes, but most of mine is in my experience in equity analysis and uh, performance analysis. And I don't think you have to have an accounting background to be a good CFO. I don't think that if you don't have an accounting background that you'll be a bad CFO. I think that it's helpful, but really what is important is how you approach the position. Um, so if you're able to be proactive in your position, if you're able to understand and be curious about new technologies and how that's going to improve the business, because that is your role. You're, you're basically, you're looking at the operational accounting and the finance functions of the business and how can we do that cheaply and effectively. You said that you were from Nebraska before the interview, and I think we were saying that Warren Buffett came from yeah. that part of the world. Yeah. You know, I, I would love to sort of get his take on this because I think one of the lines that he said was, take your accountancy exams, don't spend loads of money on doing it, but it's take your accountancy exams because it's basically the best thing for business. But that was quite a while ago. And, yeah. I, and I wonder whether if he reflected on that today, it would be actually look at the technology, become a technologist, mm. because actually, you know, the underlying accountancy that we've been sort of manually doing for so long is actually going to be automated and mm. there's less value in that. Um, yeah, definitely. As, yeah. as an as a Nebraskan, you know, yeah. curious. Well, we can call Warren. I have him. Uh, every <laughs> Nebraska person knows everyone from Nebraska. So. I love it. Um, Love it. No, I, th I think, yeah, there are certain functions of accounting that are becoming automated, kind of becoming commoditized, and, and that will continue to happen. And you see a lot more accountants offering kind of finance director services, some advisory services. So it, it definitely helps having a numbers back, like understanding the numbers underlying the business. And I think that's why if people go and get an accounting degree, a finance degree, uh, get their CPA, those are always going to be things that are going to be helpful, especially when you start looking at Working with larger businesses as well, that's where the accountancy is even more important yeah. because tax benefits, when you understand those ins and outs, it can be even better. I mean, for small businesses, we typically don't have profit, sometimes not even revenue generating. So yeah. there's a few things you need to know on the tax side, but don't need as an extensive background. Yeah, that's such a, a different world. I think the um, you know, in, in large companies, there's, yeah. there's a few trends, and one of them is the sort of core finance operations are being improved so much the ERPs you know are running so well 
not in every case <laughs> and not in every company, but yeah. there is a distinct improvement in process and, and data flow that you can start to automate processes mm -hmm. and drive data out of that. And I think that that will impact this sort of controller role mm -hmm. within larger companies where in the smaller companies, you know, you're, you're doing everything. You're probably dealing with the, the sort of fire alarm if it goes off at midnight as well. You know, yeah. it's, you are literally doing everything. So, you know, I think that, that, that it's wiser to have that broader kind of approach, particularly in startup and small business. But I would say even in larger companies now, if there is automation risk within your team, you know, you have to start looking at these new ways of working. And, and not least because of the people who are starting to come into your teams. You know, like, yeah. Do you feel that sort of the, the iGens or the digital natives that we, we sort of, you know, coming out of university and, and have never known anything but the internet and download apps, mm -hmm. and, you know, everything for free. Do you feel that they are much more inclined to work sort of collaboratively? Whereas in the sort of larger companies, you know, it's still a very much a structured sort of narrow, deep role. Mm. Yeah, possibly. So, I mean, I feel looking back now, first couple of roles that I had, finance roles, should be completely automated. They were almost report mills. And I think that's what companies want to avoid. If you're working as CFO for a startup, you don't want to be doing the bookkeeping. That's not why you're there. It's not the interesting part of the work. So you're going to look for ways to automate that and make it more efficient. So again, having that role, it's important to have that mindset. And I definitely think that younger founders and people wanting to work in a kind of an agile environment need to have that kind of mindset. It's so funny you say that because um, where I'm working at the moment, we've got a, a lot of amazing sort of data scientists and, and academics, and they don't come from a finance background. They look at the traditional role of, say, financial reporting as, you know, this, this odd two-week cycle, lots of manual effort, lots of late nights, um, and they kind of don't really understand why that role exists. Yeah. Because... Their perspective, a computer scientist perspective on it would be, you know, let's understand the decisions that we want to make. You know, let's work out these KPIs. Let's sort of talk about the visualization. At the same time, let's have a look at the data and how we manage the data and yeah. turn this into an industrialized, automated way of, of yeah. reporting. Um, it's massively opposed to the behavior in finance, mm. which is we will we'll grind and I, and I feel for finance people and, and that's why it wants to sound you know like I'm not supportive it is just it's such a different mindset mm. the solution and the architect behind that solution yeah. is thinking so differently that you know I wonder how whether the finance professional will actually drive that forward yeah whether we're waiting for people to retire and people come up <laughs> um, I think the technology has to get there so that's um so Gordon, which is a software product that uh, we we're working at, working on earlier this year, we kind of started building that to automate cash flow forecasting. So okay. that's something that complex uh, area. Yeah, well, it's less complex for smaller businesses, I think, okay. and that's a lot of cost management. So from my perspective, you should be able to automate a lot of that. And then when you get into it, you realize that it's a very complicated problem, and there are things with machine learning that should hopefully accelerate the ability to automate a lot of those things yeah. but it is to your point you have to have that that processing power that a human has i guess right that that you're analyzing and scrutinizing something it's going to be different every single time 
So you shouldn't be able to necessarily automate it or put BI behind it, and then that's going to solve your problem. But I do think that technology is getting there, and there are a lot of people working on tools that can get there for some of these more complex processes. So if you were a finance sort of CFO in a, in a medium-sized company, even a large company, and you're responsible for IT spend, you know, where would you be putting your money? There's lots of different technologies out there, lots of different trends. We've got you know, RPA, process automation, which you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, artificial intelligence off the back of that you know if we could bring that into finance ops what would that look like if if we're planning and forecasting and we've got enough data we could run machine learning and obviously i think what you your core business is around sort of bi visualization and analytics you know mm-hmm. and much more in terms of you know how we work and collaborative tools and things like that you know where would you put your money first to to really make a, an impact on the finance team oh that's a that's a good question. I think it depends on what type of business it is and what the different problems are at the business from my perspective. I don't know if across industry or across all companies it would be the same. I think data analytics has a lot of potential. So if I was going to say one area, again, that's kind of my background and interest. Yeah. But generally, take a software business, for example. So at Field, we have a lot of data points. So every Everything a user does is information that we can use to make our product better, to market more efficiently, to position ourselves differently. So really the business strategy can be changed from one single data point, but we have to get that information, we have to analyze it correctly and then communicate it in a way that people can act on it. That generally wasn't meant to be a trick question, but I okay. think you answered that perfectly because, okay. <laughs> because you hit the nail on the head. You know, you, We are here, whether it's finance, whether it's an analytics team, to answer the questions of the business. And it's about the priorities of the business. So it doesn't matter whether, in a way whether you're big, small or, or, or whatever. It's what does the business need to know yeah. to invest, to drive growth, to you know cut costs, whatever it is. And that's where you start, right? Yeah. That's where you start with the problem and you build out the solution from there. I think a lot of... Um, like I say, it wasn't meant to be a trick question, but actually asking what technology do you go after first is actually the wrong question. Yeah. It's what's the problem that the business needs. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Like there's every area of the business is going to be able to be improved with technology. But I think the highest impact areas is definitely going to depend on the state of the business. I think there are operational things as well that may not have an impact on revenue or on your product decisions or company decisions. But it's going to improve your efficiencies to where you can cut down on like labor costs, for example, because there's um, plenty of softwares out there for onboarding employees, for example, and timekeeping and these types of platforms. And then they integrate with all your other tools. Those are very cheap and easy softwares to bring in yeah. to improve the business and, and cut costs. Yeah, I, you know, I used to work for... Amazon, and they obviously had an, an amazing kind of timekeeping system, whether it was, you know, clocking in, clocking out, linking that to payroll or, or monitoring your, your movement in the warehouse to promote productivity. But I think if we were doing that again today, you know, costs would be significantly reduced. Yeah, People's engagement with that sort of project would be completely different, much more engaged, sort of understanding the, the results of it. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's all for the good, I think. You know, where, where do you think the sort of biggest opportunity is for, say, finance professionals in general? With everything you know sort of so far, whether it was going back to 
Las Vegas days or, or you know, living in, in London in, in a startup? You know, what, what is it that you think is really out there for the taking in the next sort of five, 10 years if you were a finance guy sitting in an office now? Yeah, um, definitely. It's a couple of things that we've already mentioned, but uh, accounting functions, so bookkeeping, payroll, tax filings, a lot of things that are, I don't want to say routine, but generally the same process. Like there's a lot of machine learning and, and different, you know, there's, there's another thing just about adoption of technology from other companies like the UK having a better web portal that now can connect to different softwares for filings. So I think on the accounting and filing side, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. And then on the data visualization analytics side, there's a lot of opportunity because as we discussed, there's really a lot of value there, but it's hard to get at and it can be very time consuming to draw conclusions. So I think I would say those two areas are the biggest I see. Okay. And we've talked a lot about sort of technology, but I suppose it would be remiss of us to say this is just a a technological change because that's only the enabler. Where do you think sort of the leadership in this area goes? You know, I've read research and I've heard comments around in the future, you know, we're going to have this sort of polarized world. It's coders versus communicator in general, you know. Do you feel that the finance role would be a hybrid role or would they be consumers of IT and Uber communicators or would they be more on the technology side? Yeah, it's probably both. Uh, Ideally, it's probably situational. I like to say that if you have a finance mindset and brain, you're probably more on the development side, I would think anyway, because you kind of think through things logically. Yeah. And then hopefully you have the communication side, which is your job to uh, help the company understand everything. So you probably have a pretty good balance of that. I don't know if it would be one or the other, okay. but I'd definitely be a consumer of it and um, looking for those opportunities. Great. You're pretty sure that there will be a finance team in 10, 20 years time. You know, the CFO will still, yeah. still be there. You'll call him something different, though. Him or her, <laughs> her something different. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I've heard things like chief value officer, which might, might yeah. have more sort of sales and marketing sort of lilt to it. I've heard lots of different conversations about how it may change. But I'm with you. I, I know that there is a huge future for uh, the finance professionals out there. Yeah. For me, it's it's just uh, engaging with it and, and finding sort of time, the right people to really make your own plan into the, your career development and not just leave it to chance because things are moving so quickly. Yeah, definitely. It's a great point that it's going to, I mean, chief value officer, you see a lot now too in startups and small businesses as well. You see like CFO slash COO or CFO slash chief revenue officer. You know, they have a lot of different roles and the finance function kind of feeds into it. So eventually the business grows to where you want to say siloed, but you have more narrow focus you have departments as opposed to when you're just starting out you don't have departments right it's just each person is covering a lot of different areas so i don't know i think there's always going to be a need for people in those roles and i think being able to adopt the tools and automation as opposed to fight against it or thinking that you need to jump into a different career or focus i think that's the way forward Lovely. Well, Cole, thanks very much for inviting me to the curtain and thanks very much for uh, your insight. I think it's It's great to hear such a a sort of new view on what our career could look like and uh, in particular the sort of innovations that that we need to start looking at and exploiting for our own benefit. So uh, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Great being here.